This second reading is something I hope we can have on our hearts always. St. Paul says something very helpful. Because we as Christians, we have a multifaceted faith. There is so much in our faith. And when we're thinking about evangelization, when somebody asks what Catholicism is all about, we might get stuck. Well, do I tell them about liturgy or the saints or social justice or Thomas Aquinas or what? St. Paul cuts through all of that. And he says, we preach Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's the faith. Everything we preach ultimately is Christ and him crucified. Now before he says that, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Don't overlook that line. He's saying something very important about the culture that he was preaching to. Why do Jews demand signs? It's because the very beginning of the Jewish religion, the very origins of the people, are in the revelation of God. God is revealing himself directly to Abraham and his progeny. So the Jews are accustomed to signs. God revealed himself through signs. He did all of these miraculous things with the patriarchs, and then particularly in the Exodus with Moses, and then so on and so forth with Elisha and Elijah and David and Saul. The whole Old Testament is full of signs, miracles, things that confirm that what the Jews are receiving is truly from God. So when somebody does, and don't get these confused, a prophetic sign, a prophetic sign is not a miracle. A prophetic sign is an action that shows kind of analogously what the prophet's supposed to preach. When somebody does a prophetic sign amongst the Jews, they demand a miracle to confirm it. And you see this over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus flips the tables, drives out the money changers. And the Jewish authorities don't come to him and say, well, that was wrong, how dare you do that? Because they're used to prophets. It's part of their history. It's in their scriptures. They're used to having prophets do weird stuff like this. I mean, I think it was Ezekiel buried his underwear as a prophetic sign. Like, the Old Testament's wild. They're used to this kind of stuff. But then, in order to understand what it is, and in order for Jesus to prove that this is from God and not just a crazy person, they say, what sign can you show us to prove this thing, to confirm this thing that you've done? Jews look for signs because it's part of their genetics. It's who they are. It's what they receive from God. Similarly, Greeks look for wisdom. You've all taken history classes. You know that the foundation of Western civilization comes partly from the Jews, but a big part of it is from the Greeks, and particularly the Athenian tradition of all of these incredible philosophers, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, all building on each other. The founders of the original democracies, the founders of the original plays, the, the dramatic, the tragic, the comedic plays in Greek literature. The Greeks value deeply the wisdom of their culture. When somebody wants to tell them something, they demand that that person make those arguments in philosophical terms, with wisdom. They won't believe you unless you can speak like a philosopher. And so when St. Paul is trying to preach to the Jews, or he's trying to preach to the Greeks, he knows what they're looking for. 
The Jews demand signs, and the Greeks look for wisdom. Now, St. Paul tries that out. In the Acts of the Apostles, he goes to Athens, the center of Greek culture, and he tries to preach to the Athenians according to the standards of their own culture. He talks about the pagan gods. He recognizes that there's an altar to an unknown god. He preaches to the Athenians about that unknown god. And then he gets to the resurrection, where a man died and then rose from the dead, and the Athenians... Ignore it. They walk away. They say, this doesn't work for us. Goodbye. Thank you for your time. So he then goes to Corinth. That's the next city that he visits after Athens. And in Corinth, and he says this in his letter to the Corinthians, he gives up on trying to talk to the Greeks like a Greek. He's educated in philosophy. He can do it, but it's not working. He can't somehow convey the Christian message through Greek wisdom. And so he says, you know what, forget all of that. I am only going to preach Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's the faith. There is Jesus, God made man, he died on a cross, he rose from the dead. That's what I'm going to preach. And it works. It works. There's a reason that there is a letter from St. Paul to the Corinthians in the Bible, and not a letter from St. Paul to the Athenians. Because preaching Greek wisdom didn't work for him, but preaching Christ crucified did. And St. Paul, in this reflection, in the second reading, he tells us why. Because Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. As evangelists, of those who wish to preach the gospel to the world, we do need to try to reach people where they're at. It's helpful to know how people think. But at the end of the day, if we bend ourselves too much to the standards of the time, we lose the power of the faith. We hide it in euphemism and terms that that make sense to other people, but they don't fit Christianity very well. What St. Paul is telling us is that the power of our faith, the truth of our faith, is Christ and Him crucified. And everything else falls away in the face of Christ and Him crucified. The crucifixion is a stumbling block to Jews, because that's not a miraculous sign. This prophet, this Jesus, dying on a cross, is not the power of God in their midst, like fire coming down from heaven with Elijah, or like manna coming down from heaven with Moses. That's a stumbling block, because it's not the sign they were looking for. And similarly, it's foolishness to Gentiles, because how can you say that this is a great philosopher if you can't even convince them not to crucify him? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So as Americans, if we want to take this to heart, what would we do? What would it look like? Well, what does our society look for? Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, What do Americans desire? I'd say in our genetics, if you go back to the founding of our people, we look for freedom. The more you can preach freedom, the more people are open to it. But Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, what St. Paul is doing is he's subverting the expectations of the society, and he's finding power in it. So if Americans are looking for freedom, how do we preach the gospel? Well, one possible approach is to talk about how we have given up our freedom. 
how we are bound by God. I'll tell you, the thing that's very unpopular about the Christian faith is that we have a ton of rules. There is a certain way that Christians are called to live. Our entire first reading today was the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. I don't know any American in the American part of their soul who really likes hearing thou shalt not. In fact, there's a strain of our society where somebody says thou shalt not, and you're like, well, now I'm going to, because you can't tell me what to do. This is not a popular aspect of our faith. This is not something that we would use to preach. And yet, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, what would it look like if we preached the faith through the commandments? If we preached the faith subverting the expectations of our society? Listen to the psalm, for example. Can you honestly say with the psalmist, The law of the Lord is perfect. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The command of the Lord is clear. The fear of the Lord is pure. The ordinance of the Lord are true. And all of these, all of these rules, all of these demands of God, they are more precious than gold, than a heap of purest gold, sweeter also than syrup or honey from the comb. Can you say that you desire and long for God to tell you what to do? If you're in this church this morning, there's a chance that you actually would agree with the psalmist. There's a chance that you've seen what the psalmist sees, which is the rules of God bring peace. The commands of God help me to live my best life. I am a better person because I do what God has asked me to do. Preach the gospel saying that. It's Lent. Most of us have Lenten penances. Penances are a form of giving up your freedom. I gave up chocolate. The Lord has made sure that is more penitential than I thought it would be. Every Monday through Saturday, I'm just craving it all the time. It seems small, but on Thursday, I was at somebody's house for their birthday. They had a chocolate cake, and I didn't say, oh, I don't feel like cake, I'm full. I was pretty clear. Gave that up for Lent. Good. Because I've just made a statement, I am bound by God. I have given up my freedom and my pleasure for the sake of God. That preaches the gospel in the American context. Any of you, if you've given up anything, don't demure and say, Oh, I just, I don't feel like it. It's not something that's part of my life right now. Tell them, God told me I'm not supposed to eat that right now. It's Friday. I am not going to eat that hamburger. If you want to go out to fast food, we're getting a fish fillet. Right? That's what's going to happen. God told me to do it. That's arresting to people. Just like Christ on the cross was arresting to the Jews and the Greeks. It gets their attention, and they ask, well, what's going on here? Because this isn't a sign, this isn't wisdom, this isn't freedom. Something must be more powerful here if somebody that I know and trust is giving something up. Go even further than that. In the commandments, God says to keep holy the Sabbath day. When somebody asks if you can hang out on Sunday morning... And you say no, or if you want to sleep in and you say no, we're going to go to church. They'll ask sometimes, well, why? Why do you do that? And our tendency is to say, well, you know, it helps me feel good. I feel closer to the Lord. I get something out of it. Okay, I hope that's true. I hope that is your motivation. But if somebody asks you, next time tell them, because God told me I have to. Nobody wants to hear that, but it's true. Because you have experienced the power of God and the wisdom of God. And when God now asks you to do something, you do it. Don't shy away from the fact that you have given up your freedom. Because that's going to get people's attention. I tell you, I struggled with that third commandment. 
Um, when I was first a priest, I was down in the Skagit Valley, and we had a lot of, um, of service workers, people who work at restaurants or movie theaters or whatever. And I'd hear confessions all the time from people who said, couldn't get to Mass, my boss made me work. And so I, I made a resolution at that time. I wasn't even going to engage in commerce on Sunday. After the Masses are over, I don't grocery shop, I don't go see a movie. I'll get gas, but that's just a, a robot filling up my tank, right? But otherwise, that's it. And I've not been bold enough about telling people why I don't want to go out to dinner on Sunday night. I need to say, God has told me, in my conscience, that this is something I need to stop doing. That gets people's attention. It preaches the gospel, because it subverts their expectations. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, Americans want freedom. And we Christians, influenced by the power of God and the wisdom of God, we've given that freedom up. We have bound ourselves to the rules and the commandments of the Lord. That is beautiful. It is evangelical. It helps us to live a full, peaceful, incredible, grace-filled life. And I think it's time that we told our neighbors about it.